This past week, world attention went to Morocco where the climate change conference known as COP22 was taking place. You may have heard of the Paris Climate Conference of last year, where an agreement was signed, the first on climate change since 1992. All countries, and there were some 75 who ratified it, agreed to act in order to protect the planet. I don't know how many of you read or even heard of the Pope's encyclical Laudato Si. While it is not an encyclical about climate change, it does challenge us to do everything we can to care for our common home. Pope Francis says that it is our moral duty to do so. And of course, this is not just caring for trees and lakes, but it is also caring for the poor and marginalized and those who are most affected by environmental changes. In September this year, the Pontifical Academy of Sciences published a statement, Laudato Si and the Path to COP22. The statement encourages the participants to emphasize 10 priorities based on Laudato Si. It's worth a read. But for us, how's your recycling? How's your composting? How much food do you waste? Can you take public transit or ride your bike more often? Do you support your local farmers? Are you at least aware of ways we can care for our common home? In solidarity with those around the world trying to make a difference and in solidarity with Pope Francis, let's make a change. I'm Deacon Pedro and this is the Salt and Light Hour. Hello and welcome to the Salt and Light Hour. I'm Deacon Pedro. And I'm Emily Callen. And today we continue with our usual show, for, show format. I can't even say that. Um, but Emily is here, so that's good, with our news. Emily, yes. what's in our headlines? Busy week this week? Uh, sort of busy week. I mean, there was uh, one last Jubilee uh, celebration with the yes. Pope last weekend, so with, with the homeless. Yeah. Um, we're going to talk about that, as well as the general audience that happened on Wednesday, as right. usual. And the Pope had some good advice for he, us. He did have some good advice. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, we're also going to talk about uh, the election of the USCCB president. Oh, good. The new, Another yeah. election. Another election. A better election. Yes. And um, and the consistory happening Ah, uh, the today. consistory. And you're going to explain yes. what that big word me- means. Because <laughs> yes. I don't even know how to spell it. Okay. Consistory. Okay. And that's all coming up very soon with our news. Um, and after the news, uh, Jillian Cantor will be back uh, to tell us what she learned from her kids this past summer. Um, and after that, on Connect 5, Sebastian Gomes speaks with Brother Peter Bray who is the vice chancellor of Bethlehem University. Did you get to go there? I did, and I I got to meet him. Oh, good. Yes. And yes, I also, when I went to to Bethlehem, we spend... uh, um, half a day at the university mm. with the students, and it's a, it's quite the quite the quite the place actually. If I if I had to volunteer somewhere, like if I had six months yeah. to volunteer, I would go volunteer at Bethlehem University, um, only Catholic university in Palestine. Um, so that's coming up with Sebastian Gomes uh, at the end of the half first half hour, and in our second half hour, we're going to be speaking with uh, an ex Salt and Lighter, David Nalieri. He produces films for the Knights of Columbus. And uh, they have two films, Liberating a Continent, about John Paul II and the fall of communism, and another film called The Face of Mercy, because it's the end of, well, it's been the year of mercy. And so we're going to be speaking with David about those films in about 25 minutes. And then after that, we're going to be speaking again with Lupe Rios, who's our featured artist this week. We met Lupe yes. last year. Okay, Emily's <laughs> excited. We, we met Lupe last year around Christmas time. He has this beautiful uh, Spanish-style high tenor voice, and, and he has a new album, Paradisum. 
uh, with some original songs. So we're going to be speaking with Lupe Rios at the end of the program. So let's start with a song. It's a beautiful, beautiful song uh, written by Lupe Rios. Which one is it? Um, it's called A Prayer Like This from his new album, Paradisum. Father, if possible, let this come pass from me. On my knees, dear Lord, I do pray. While my suffering, if it is you I seek, will you remain with me when all the light disappears and the darkness surrounds me, surrounds me? And will you be my shield against the threat of the foe, against the constant temptation? Let go Father, Father, Father Forsake me, Lord, am I not your handmaid? I am not worthy, O God, that you should come to my aid But all I need is a word of yours to heal me For I have come to believe that only you have the words That were to grant me salvation and healing Father, Father, Father That was Lupe Rios with A Prayer Like This from his new album, Paradisum. And we're going to be speaking with Lupe in our second half hour. And in about five minutes, what I learned from my kids. But first, Emily is still here with our news. Yes. And uh, well, I guess I can start with uh, last weekend, the Jubilee for the yes. Socially Excluded. Um, and uh, this was the last Jubilee celebration before the close of the Year of Mercy. Right. And um, so the Pope uh, wanted to celebrate this. 
this um, with people who are in, in fragile situations, the homeless. There were about 6,000 people yeah. um, who went to Rome for this. They were there for three days. Uh, it was organized by a, or with, in collaboration with a, um, a French association called Fratello. And uh, they got to have a prayer vigil, Eucharistic adoration, and uh, an audience en masse with the Pope. Um, and at the audience, the Pope heard testimonies from some of the um, participants. And, and then he spoke to them and he said um, that everyone is made unique. Men and women all have dreams and passions regardless of current status or situation. And so he told them to not not to stop dreaming. Um, and he also said that the poor are at the heart of the gospel. And uh, and as we know, I mean, Pope Francis often speaks about the poor yes. and, and how... Um, they they teach us uh, something mm-hmm. about God, uh, mm-hmm. God's love, right? And so, and at the end, which was a really neat um, thing to see, uh, was uh, was a group of them came up to the stage afterwards and, and right. prayed, right. put their hands on the Pope, and very then moving prayed for him. Yes. Uh, so yes, a very moving. And it was moment. like a big huddle, actually. Yeah, it was, it, if you haven't seen the images, yes, it's well worth looking for them on YouTube. Yes, yeah, all these people praying. For the Pope around him. Yeah. yeah. What a privilege. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, and then on Wednesday at the general audience. Now, um, again, because this is the last week before uh, the end of the year mercy. Yes. Um, not that the Pope would stop talking about, you know, being merciful. and, and No, uh, and he's, he didn't. He said he was going to cover all the works of mercy. And yes, I don't think he has he made it. No, so we're going to keep getting more of this, I think. There you go. So this week, um, he talked about bearing wrongs patiently. Yes. So patience is one of the things I have a hard time with, Pedro. I don't know about you. but Yeah, yes. Um, Emily's very impatient with me. <laughs> um, but patience is a virtue, he said, of course. And uh, and and he says that, you know, to um, sometimes you know, there are situations in our life or maybe people, he says, that are annoying. But this is an opportunity um, to practice patience mm-hmm. and, and to... Um, to, to practice what God also does to us, which which right. is He is patient with us as well, us sinners, yes. um, and 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 so it it challenges us to reflect on our own conduct and failings. He says, "I know, and I love it because specifically he said there there's that irritating person at work. Yeah, <laughs> be patient with that person. So there's yeah. good advice Wait, for all what? of us. Yeah, yes, not me. Yes, um." So another election took place this week yes. in the United States, yes. though not uh, a different presidential election. Yes. Uh, this was for the Conference of Catholic Bishops of the United States. Mm-hmm. Um, their uh, previous presidents, Archbishop, uh, president, sorry, Archbishop Joseph E. Kurtz of Louisville, uh, final or completed his three-year term mm-hmm. uh, f- with the USCCB. And now they, they voted this past week in Baltimore during their uh, annual General Assembly um, for uh, Cardinal Daniel DiNardo of Galveston, Houston. Mm-hmm. So there you go. Yes, and he's so now congratulations yes. exactly, and now he'll be there for for, for three, three years, years as well. Yes, Cardinal DiNardo had the chance. In fact, we he's been on this program. Oh, we did okay. a program from yes. Houston one year, and uh, he was one of our guests. Uh, so congratulations to Cardinal DiNardo. Yes. Maybe he's listening <laughs> uh, on his three-year term as president of the USCCB. Now, uh, today at the Vatican, a very important event is taking place. Yes. 17, uh, well, the Pope is creating 17 new cardinals. cardinals. Um, and um, there are three from the U.S., uh, Archbishop Blaise Supich of Chicago, mm-hmm. Bishop Kevin uh, J. Farrell. He's the prefect of the Vatican Office for Lady, Family, and Life, yes. as well as Archbishop Joseph uh, Tobin. Yes. 
Now and and he actually just got uh, moved, na- moved to exactly New York, to, to New York, New York, New, New Jersey, York, yes. New Jersey, not yes. New York, <laughs> no, New York, New yep. York, New Jersey. So essentially, what happens? Pedro at the consistory is that the Pope is creating seventeen new cardinals who will be assisting the Pope yes. in governing the Church and living out her mission. And these are also the cardinals, most of them, um, who will vote. Who will be electing? In a, in yeah, a, cardinal electors. In, yeah, exactly. In the next uh, conclave. conclave. There you go. So we got some new cardinals. Congratulations to all of them. And uh, thank you, Emily, for this. You can watch Emily every Friday at 8 p.m. East on Vatican Connections. I don't know. Maybe you're explaining what consistories are and who cardinals are in Vatican Connections. <laughs> Sometimes, yes. Yeah. Um, if anything you want to find out of the Vatican, Vatican Connections, you can watch that every Friday, 8 p.m., Salt and Light TV, online at saltandlighttv.org and also on our Roku channel. Hi, I'm Mark Matthews, your Hollywood undercover missionary, and you're listening to the Salt and Light Hour with Deacon Pedro. I'm Deacon Pedro. You can find me on Facebook. Just look for Deacon Pedro and follow me on Twitter at Deacon Pedro GM. And now it's time for What I Learned from My Kids with Jillian Cantor. Jillian, seems a little strange Hello. to say uh, how was your summer because it's the middle of November, but how was your summer? good it was a long time ago but it's still good it was a long time ago and and uh, lots of lots of kids and lots of activities i'm sure yes i learned a few things did you learn a few things over the summer so what mm-hmm. did you learn i learned that i like my kids <laughs> <laughs> that's a good thing do your do your kids know that oh. i think so okay good a wise man once said to me in uh, regards to his own children something along the lines of they are my roommates that wise person is you. You yes. said that. Oh, my God. <laughs> my kids are my roommates. Did I say I wish they were not my roommate? My kids are not my roommates. <laughs> I said that to you. You did. Okay. And I often think about that. And when I think of that, it's usually when we're sitting around the supper table. And it's me and David. We're pretty tall. We sit up pretty high. And then there's all these other little kids sitting around the table. And I look around and I wonder to myself a few things. One is, how did that happen? When did all these people get here? <laughs> And also just the idea of, you know, this is, these are my chosen people. These are the people I'm going to be eating with from now until the end of time. And, and I, some days it's very frustrating, but a lot of times as I'm, as I'm learning, it can be pretty fun. Yeah. Um, and I think the event that really solidified that for me this year was, or this summer, was we um, rented an RV and loaded up five kids and drove across the country to Saskatchewan. Uh-huh. Now, when you uh, would, if you were planning a road trip, and you wanted to pick a group of friends, you probably would not pick the people with weak bladder control and the <laughs> ones who pick their noses. But I sure did. I thought that'd be a fun group of people to travel across the country with. And it was terrible. <laughs> and it was wonderful. Um, but yeah. It was terrible and it was wonderful. I likened it. I told someone when we were all done, it's like giving birth. It's necessary. You need to get where you're going. And it's beautiful. You see a lot of lovely things. And the good thing is when you get there, you forget all the terrible things. And it's just a wonderful memory that you have. You just love it. You just love the whole experience. But when you're going through it, it's like, this is the worst thing ever. (laughs) So anyway... Oh. I came out of that liking my kids, and I just think that's a beautiful lesson all by itself. 
That's that's because I yeah. harped on them a lot. Like there was, you know, I was cruise director. David was up at the front captain's chair driving, and I'm cruise director, trying to keep people occupied for eight hours of driving every day, and it gets a little exhausting. And yeah. there's fights about stuff that you could not possibly imagine people ever wanting to fight about. But <laughs> yeah, now I've forgotten my point because that just now I'm just remembering all the fights. All the fights. No, um, <laughs> but it's a. At the end of the day, when we would be tucking them in and they'd be telling us what their favorite things were or just the, what they remembered most about the day, it was never that mommy was mad at us all too long <laughs> or mommy yelled so much because we weren't listening to her. What they remembered was, by the way, I didn't yell all day, yes. but what they remembered was just the beautiful countryside that we were driving through, the fun things that we got to stop and see and explore. And then, and it just makes you realize that you know, if you just take a deep breath and stop all the harping and just look around at this group of people that God has given you to not just raise and bring to towards their vocation and ultimate fulfillment as a human being, but he gave you these people to enjoy them because their personalities can mesh with yours and they, they're products of you and they share your same sense of humor. And you realize these are fun and funny people and I'm having a good time with them. And that, I mean... You always kind of know that deep down. You always know you're having a good time. These are your group of people. But when you look at them as a group of friends, and I, I know people, you shouldn't be friends with your kids. You, mm-hmm. have to be the, you have to be in charge. You have to be the parent. I know that. I understand that. But if you were just to take a minute and just think about that, just think about them as a group of friends, how privileged am I to be a part of that group? Because they're just awesome people, and I'm just so grateful for the opportunity to be with them for however long God says I get to keep them. Anyway, Amen. I like my kids. Amen. So you'd pick them as roommates. Well, they do. They're, they're terrible roommates. Let's be honest. <laughs> they uh, they don't sleep. Their noise level is atrocious. They never clean up after themselves, and they barge in on me when I'm going to the bathroom. If they were really roommates, they'd be kicked out a long time ago. Yeah, yeah that's but great. It's that factor of loving them unconditionally that yeah. allows me to keep them as roommates. Yes. So. Good. Good lesson, and and and, and I would I would uh, echo the the sentiment of 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 going on a road trip with your family. We've done it twice, um, not with the RV, even just in the car. And and the fact that and our kids were older, I maybe I don't know if I'd go with them when they were as little as yours, <laughs> but you know, to go with a, a a ten and a thirteen year old, and then to go with a fourteen and a seventeen year old, um, and we went across Canada all the way to Vancouver yeah. Island. Um, the second time and it's a great mm-hmm. great you know to know that you can be in the car for 8 10 12 hours together and and uh still like each other the next day yeah. um is uh yeah. is a good feeling um and anyone that we told them about this trip or that we were going on this trip or or that we had gone on this trip, their response was pretty much the same. It was like, "Oh, I remember when." And yes. then they would have some story about their childhood and a trip they went on. And so we knew that this was this was a big thing that we were going to be creating some memories for our kids. And it just made us ever more grateful that we had this opportunity. And, and again, just glad that we get to share it with them, that these memories that we're making, they're always going to know it was mommy and daddy and my brother and my sister. That's who I did it with. Yeah. And they'll remember that forever. And, and I'm sure that there will be other trips to come. So I hope so. Thank you. But maybe I can take, Maybe they'll be out of car seats the next time. That yes. makes things a little bit yes. better. Yes. Maybe they'll be driving, helping with the driving. That that helped us the, the second time we yeah. went. <laughs> Thank you very much. I'll I'll have to remember that. My 
I would I pick my kids as my roommates? Um, <laughs> Jillian Cantor, thank you very much. Jillian Cantor is the producer of the Salt and Light TV program Mothering Full of Grace, and she's the wife of David and the mother of Joseph, Henry, Annie, Clara, and Jamie. I'm Sister Marie Paul Curley of the Daughters of St. Paul, and you're listening to the Salt and Light Hour with Deacon Pedro. How are you going to spend the next five minutes of your time? How about listening in, meeting a fascinating person, and learning something relevant that will broaden your perspective? Sit down with Sebastian Gomes and go straight to the heart of the matter. Here's Connect 5. Today, Sebastian speaks with the Vice Chancellor of Bethlehem University, Brother Peter Bray. Bethlehem University is the only Catholic university in Palestine. Brother Peter, let's talk a little bit about the students at Bethlehem University. Who are the students? Who are the students that make up the, the, the student body there? Well, we have about 3,200 students at present. Uh, when Bethlehem University started in 1973, we had 112, so we've grown a little bit. Um, of those, 73% uh, are Muslims and the others are Christian. And uh, one of the difficulties is the, res- the area from which we uh, draw them is very restricted. So we have about 40% come from East Jerusalem, and they come through the wall each day. Uh, the majority would be from around uh, Bethlehem and the neighbouring villages, and then probably about 6% from, uh, from Hebron. So that's the, the makeup of the ge- geography of them. Unfortunately, we, uh, we don't have very many uh, foreign students, uh, which is a significant disadvantage for us because of the lack of diversity uh, and broadening the experience of students is, is very limited. Mm. And what attracts the students to, to Bethlehem University? What would make them want to go there? Well, uh, there are a variety of reasons. Uh, I think, uh, with all due humility, um, Bethlehem University is the best university in Palestine, so that's an attraction. Um, but I think also the fact that uh, the quality of what we are offering, um, it's, it's accepted by people, particularly around Bethlehem, as uh, you know, being uh, very, very useful, and and Bethlehem University is committed to serve the Palestinian people through education, so they're aware of that sort of commitment. So there's the quality of it. I think um, the fact that there really isn't another university within close range, so it's a a local university, if you like. The fact that our qualifications are recognised within Israel which is particularly for East Jerusalem uh, uh, students is a particularly uh, important thing because, uh, you know, for our nursing program, for example, it's recognised within uh, Israel so they can get jobs in East Jerusalem and and sometimes in West Jerusalem as well. So there's a variety of reasons um, that... uh, uh, that, uh, and the other thing is uh, it's, uh, it's a safe university. Uh, we uh, promote uh, ourselves as an oasis of peace for our students. And what I want is that when students step onto the campus, they know they are safe and they know that there are people there who really, really care about them. And as a La Salle University, uh, following Jean-Baptiste de La Salle, one of the things that he emphasised so much was the importance of building relationships. And uh, it's really uh, fascinating for me in the clips that I'm using of students uh, um, in the presentations I'm doing, one of the students talks about her relationships with her teachers and she talks about they're just like older brothers and sisters to us. And I thought, yes. <laughs> and that's, that's really what Jean-Baptiste de La Salle, you know, not master and student, no, older brothers and sisters. It's an incredible place in the middle of a very complex 
uh, situation. So, you know, considering what you're, what you're saying and considering the complexity of that, how do the students actually view, you know, the political and social situation that they're in, you know, the conflict? Well, they're very obviously very aware of the impact of the, uh, the occupation on them and particularly the restrictions that they are placed under. Like students coming from East Jerusalem uh, faced with uh, being stopped in the bus and often uh, as a result uh, being late for class. Um, and students from, uh, uh, from Bethlehem wanting to go into Jerusalem. Like I've got an interview with one uh, girl who twice a year she can go in. She's a Christian uh, girl, go in at Christmas time and at Easter time. Hollis, that's it. That's the only time she's allowed in. And then she talks about the experience of doing that and how she's searched and how she's uh, abused really. Uh, and, and so they are very aware of the implications of, of the occupation. I would say there's a range of, uh, of views uh, among students. Some uh, would be uh, wanting to, um, to, to be more outspoken or to be more, uh, I'm not sure about violent, but more aggressive uh, in opposing, whereas others just want to get on with their life and, and in, in the circumstances where they are, to do what they can. That was Sebastian Gomes speaking with Brother Peter Bray of Bethlehem University. You can watch this and more interviews at saltandlighttv.org slash connect5 and also on our Roku channel. Coming up in our second half hour, A Face of Mercy and a featured chat with Lupe Rios. My name is Oriana Bertucci, and I'm a monthly guardian for Salt and Light. After considering what was important to me, my faith, my family, my friends, my health, I wanted to find ways to support these priorities. If I made a monthly payment to my gym to support my physical well-being, why not make a monthly donation to the Guardian program to support my spiritual well-being? One of the things that I love about Salt and Light is the way that they bring the Universal Church into your living room or onto your mobile device. Whether the day's news is coming from Rome, the Philippines, Brazil, or right here at home, Salt and Light brings us a broad and balanced perspective of how the church's news impacts me today in my local community. So why not consider your priorities? Consider becoming a monthly guardian for Salt and Light Television. Support not only your own spiritual well-being, but the spiritual well-being of thousands of others. Hello and welcome to the Salt and Light Hour Part 2. I'm Deacon Pedro. I'm sure many of you have heard about how St. John Paul II was instrumental in the fall of communism. You may have wondered how much any of that is true. Well, now there's a documentary that tells the story. Liberating a Continent, John Paul II and the Fall of Communism is the Knights of Columbus film that tells of the role that was played by John Paul II in the collapse of communism and the liberation of Central and Eastern Europe. And to tell us all about it, I am now joined by the producer of the film, David Nalieri. David, welcome back to the Salt and Light Hour. Andrew, great to be with you. Thank you so much for having me on. Yeah, now, would you say that this film is a, is it a historical film? Is that a way how you would qualify it? 
Yeah, I think it is, Pedro. You know, we set out this. We set out to make this film to educate um, audiences for today and for the future. Um, also, the the next generation, young people that are finishing college, entering the workforce, who didn't know John Paul II. They didn't have experiences, you know, we had at World Youth Days or other large gatherings where you you kind of understood the charisma this man had and his great yeah. spiritual legacy. So with John Paul, his death now more than a decade passed, we wanted to make a film that chronicled the events of the 1980s, um, the impact his visit in 1979 had to Poland, uh-huh. um, and how this led to a sp- really a spiritual revolution which culminated in the fall of communism in 1989. So we wanted to um, kind of secure the legacy of John Paul II for this pivotal moment and then, um, and then teach and instruct future generations about the importance of faith in the public square, the importance of religious freedom, and, uh, and the fact that the quest for freedom in Europe continues. So those are kind of some of the themes that are in the film, but very much it's an historical film that we try to do in a really modern uh, powerful way using um, all the tools of modern media. Right, and uh, of course, you you were filming in Eastern Europe. Uh, who did you have a chance to speak with that uh, that are featured in the film? Yeah, so we we traveled three different times to to Eastern Europe. Most of the time in Poland. But one of the things that set the film apart a little bit was we wanted to also chronicle the great impact John Paul II had in other Eastern European countries. Okay. So in Lithuania, we traveled to Lithuania. We traveled to the former Czechoslovakia, Czech Republic, um, and in these countries where the impact he had when he traveled to Poland in 1979 really seeped through to these countries as well. Yeah. Um, so it was awesome to have the chance to sit down with a lot of uh, solidarity leadership uh, to interview uh, Cardinal Stanislav Jivic, of course, the Archbishop of Krakow, Krakow yeah. a long time um, uh, personal assistant to John Paul II, um, Hanna Szczesowska who was the former prime minister of Poland, okay. um, George Weigel, John Paul II's biographer. We interviewed two former heads of state of Lithuania as well. So the interviews are many human rights activists, priests, journalists, historians, theologians uh, from across Eastern Europe who kind of gave us an inside glimpse into how exactly the, the spiritual revolution unfolded. Can you can you explain that maybe a little better? What do you mean? How can a spiritual revolution lead to, I guess, in a very real sense, a real revolution? Yeah, no, it's a great question, Pedro, and I, I think it's an awesome one because a lot of times people may have a little doubt. Oh, is this just you know an inside Catholic job, or is this uh, kind of a slanted historical view yeah. by Catholic partisans? But the interesting thing is, many secular historians and leading historians of of European history. Um, and the history of Poland and of that region and of communism and of the Cold War. They all agree that without John Paul II's visit to Poland in June of 1979, those nine days that changed the world, without that visit, you don't have this great sweeping courage and euphoria that sweeps across Poland and the people, which gives rise one year later to the birth of the Solidarity Movement. And without the birth of the Solidarity Movement in September of 1980, uh, you don't have the events that unfold in the 1980s, 80s, which culminate to, with the fall of the Berlin Wall yeah. and the revolution of 1989. So um, I think we can all agree on those kind of uh, cause and effect. Yeah. And uh, yeah. what essentially happened was when those millions of people turned out in 1979 for all those different uh, visits of John Paul II, he gave about 50 different speeches, they realized they were not alone. They looked side by side and they saw all their fellow countrymen who had the same faith, the same values that they did. So suddenly they realized they were not alone 
in a communist system that sought to atomize mm -hmm. and to kind of divide and conquer the people who lived in a sense of fear. So there's a huge, huge uh, sense of courage and euphoria that was breathed into the people of Poland. And then also John Paul II gave them back their history. Right. Communism sought to kind of um, yeah. have them forget about their Christian roots. And he gives them back to them in speech after speech, reminding them of their thousand-year Christian history uh -huh. and the importance of human dignity and time, timeless Christian values. So when we talk about a spiritual revolution, that's what we're talking about. Right. People becoming aware of their dignity and becoming aware of their Christian past. Yeah, it's fascinating. It's absolutely a wonderful film. I encourage people to watch it. It's been nominated for five Emmys, so congratulations on that, David. Um, but I don't want to let you go without uh, talking about another film that you've just, I think you've finished it, um, The Face of Mercy. Um, if you haven't finished it, I know you're finishing it soon because it's uh, going to be airing on on, on various uh, ABC affiliates uh, soon, right? Um, which is a, a film... That's right, yeah. The, it's called the, the Face of Mercy, and it is finished, uh, Pedro. Yeah, yeah the, good. The, uh, it is airing on ABC affiliates across the country right now. It's yeah. airing right now, so people could... Maybe they've, they've heard about it. So, And these are... Uh, I know it's it's the year of mercy, so uh, clearly the making of the film had something to do with this uh, year of mercy? Absolutely. I think we were really inspired to uh, to work uh, in conjunction with Pope Francis's call for a whole year of mercy, and we're really excited as well to have a new partnership, the Knights of Columbus, working with a congregation for the Sisters of Our Lady of Mercy, which uh -huh. of course is St. Faustina's order, and uh, several of them, um, including Sister Gaudia, who helped produce the film and right. stars in it, is now at the St. John Paul II Shrine in Washington, D.C., uh -huh. this great project of the Knights. And so this film uh, really helps bring to light uh, Pope Francis's uh, call for a year of mercy, his call for a church that's more merciful, and also seeks to uh, connect the legacies of John Paul II with Pope Francis and, right. and help educate people, too, about the role of St. Faustina and the Divine Mercy Method. So we tried to accomplish all those uh, aims in this film. And really, if I had to kind of summarize it in one sentence, it's to show what is the face of mercy in this world. Where can we see the face of mercy? And so uh, besides the history that we delve into, uh -huh. we also explore some personal profiles of remarkable individuals, people like Immaculate Ilibagiza, who survived okay. the Rwandan Holocaust, yeah. um, Jennifer Trapuzano, a widow whose husband was murdered and she publicly forgave the killer. So dramatic testimonies and powerful people who we thought kind of epitomized the face of mercy in today's world. Right, right. So it's a little bit of history. So we learn about Sister Faustina, about the work of John Paul II, who's also been called, a, I guess, a witness of mercy. Um, and then some of these contemporary stories of mercy. Um, in making the film, David, did you learn or realize something about mercy in your own life that you hadn't thought about before? Yeah, it's good. That's a good question. I think, Pedro, you know, because you know, you've sold the documentaries, a lot of different films. I think these products always um, help you to grow it as a person. And I would say, you know, in making this film, um, I had the chance to interview several people who, uh, uh, you know, were able to forgive unbelievable yeah. crimes against them. So Makile, whose entire family was wiped out in the 1994 Rwandan genocide. I mentioned Jennifer Trapuzano. She's from Indianapolis. And yes. She was nine months pregnant. Um, a newlywed, and her husband was murdered um, on a you know a, a city street while taking a walk in Indianapolis. 
her daughter was born in a couple of weeks later on Divine Murphy Sunday, and she forgave wow. the killer of her husband. Even though the killer, the 16-year-old boy who never repented, never showed any remorse at all. And then also uh, Detective Stephen McDonald, very inspiring story. He was uh-huh. a New York City detective, and in 1986 he was shot, paralyzed. He publicly, for, publicly forgave his killer and now goes around the country giving talks about reconciliation, healing, forgiveness, mercy. And I think, Pedro, um, in a long-winded way to say what I learned from this film is just the the importance of forgiveness um, to bring healing in our own lives. Yeah. And I think these stories do, and then add to that, John Paul II, Stephen Aliachka, who um, shot and tried to uh, assassinate him in 1881, yes. is um, so often in our own lives, we have a difficult time forgiving the most trivial things. So we may hold a grudge to the most minor offense, whether it's in our families or in our workplaces. And I think these powerful stories can really be a jolt, can really be a wake-up call um, for the need for forgiveness and how we can bring about healing in our own lives. And I think it did have that effect on me, and I, and I hope this film can have that effect in others as well. Absolutely. I'm, I'm, I haven't watched it yet, David, but I am looking forward to watching it. I know that uh, it will be airing here in Canada on Salt and Light Television in the new year. Um, but thank you so much for sharing a, a, bit, a little bit about the work that you're doing. I hope that it's encouraging to our listeners. Uh, thank you very much. Thanks, Bridger. Great being with you. That was David Nalieri. He's the producer of the Knights of Columbus films, Liberating a Continent and The Face of Mercy. You can learn about those two films, jp2film.com. That's jp and the number two film.com and faceofmercyfilm.com. I'm going to put those two links on our site, saltandlighttv.org slash radio, so you can find it easily. Here now is our featured artist of the week, Lupe Rios, with Reverting from his new album, Paradisum. I know that I can love 
time I stretch my arms, why is it I do not feel a thing? If you love me, Lord, and if you hear my cry, why do you hide from me? Is it that I don't believe that your fragrance surrounds me, but that I cannot breathe? That your gaze is upon me, but I'm blind, I can't see. That your arms are around me, I don't want to admit that you're all about me. Is it that I don't believe that your fragrance surrounds me, but that I cannot breathe? That your gaze is upon me, but I'm blind, I can't see. That your arms are around me, I don't want to admit. That you're all about me But I Still want to be with you Do not forsake me, Lord But I Still want to be with you do not forsake me, Lord, do not forsake me, Lord. That was Lupe Rios with Reverting from his new album, Paradisum. Last year, around this time, we met Lupe Rios, a young Mexican singer who had, who had a beautiful Christmas album. Lupe lives in California, where he is the director of music at his parish. When he's not doing that, he's recording and composing. And his latest album, which we've been listening to, is called In Paradisum, which features six original tunes. Um, and to tell us more, here now joining me is Lupe Rios. Lupe, welcome, to the Salt and Light. welcome back to the Salt and Light Hour. Thank you so much for having me again. So I, um, I know last year when we spoke uh, specifically about your Christmas album, you had told me that you had been doing you know, little recordings here and there throughout, but, but that in, in some sense that album was kind of like your, I don't want to say your first major one, but it was first in, in, in many respects. This one, I don't want to say is your second album, but th is there something different about this album for you? Yes, much more. You know, Christmas music is always kind of more general in some ways, and there's only so much of me I could put in there. People want to hear certain things for Christmas. Right. Um, but in this particular uh, album, I have a lot of music that is very personal to me. Uh, quite a few of them are my personal uh, compositions. Yeah. And others that my mom taught me or that I have, you know, hymns from church that mean a lot to me. Um, it's mm -hmm. called Paradisum because uh, I, I always take seriously that, you know, for those of us that are believers in the Lord, paradise doesn't just come later when we die, but it comes in this life when you put, you know, that paradigm of faith, those glasses of faith on, and you start seeing things in the way that a person of faith should. It becomes like paradise. Um, everything from my upbringing to the struggles that I go through every day, some awful things that could happen in my life, and also the, the beauty that comes with the, the, with the hope uh, through faith. Um, and paradise kind of captures that, and that's why we called it paradisum, um, 
just the cover in my CD inside of it has a painting, uh-huh. and it's a painting that my good friend Jenny made of a picture that I had from the roof of my house in Mexico. So it's not just a random painting, but it, it has the roof of my house, and it looks over the sugarcane fields that my dad used to plant, the river that I used to swim at, the hills where I used to work as a child um, growing corn with my parents, and at the same time right above my house, which is the center of, of my faith in many ways. That's where my mom would read the Bible and open the scriptures to us, and we would pray as a family, and that was just my nucleus of my faith. And uh, that's why it's called Paradisum, even with the picture. Um, but again, this has a lot of, of, of music that means a lot to me personally. Yeah. No, and I, I, in a way, my next question was going to be why Paradisum? And so thank you for answering it before I even asked. Um, in some sense, though, it's not just, I mean, you've, you've called the album that, and you've just explained why, but in some sense, do you, when you're, when you're putting together an album, all the songs have some connection. So would you say that all the songs also have some sort of paradise connection for you? Yes. Yes, for sure. One of my favorite ones in here is uh, one of the traditional ones that my mom taught me is uh, called Señora Acuérdate. Uh-huh. And uh, the main theme in that one is, you know, kind of like in English, you sing, Jesus, remember me. Yeah. When you come into your kingdom, and he turns and he says, "Today you will be with me in paradise." Yes, again. It's one yeah. of those songs of of redemption that really fuels my faith, personally as a young man. Also, um, because I can always trust the Lord to turn to the Lord that He won't judge me in the way that humans would judge each other, but more open His arms and embrace me and say, "You have humbled yourself before me, and now paradise is yours." When you look at a song like Reverting, mm-hmm. you know, it's talking really more about the doubts that one would have here in this life, but really has still that underlying hope of, if you will take me, Lord, I will be there with you. Yeah. If you look at a prayer like his, another one of my songs that I compose, it has parallels with that humanity of Jesus, you know, with him in the, in the Mount of Olives praying to his Father, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Mm-hmm. And as a human being, I find myself in that situation a lot, not just glorifying the Lord for his goodness and how great he is, but identifying with that Jesus human, um, that with a human Jesus that suffered, that cried for his friends, that, 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 that was afraid at one point, but at the end, like in the song, Lord, into your hands, you know that if you put mm-hmm. your heart and your soul in the Lord's hands, he takes care of you. And always, in a sense, it presents paradise for you because it always has you know maybe because i'm mexican um i'm not too much afraid of death my mom always would say always be ready but never be willing and we have almost a flirtatious relationship with it and as a church musician you know i play a lot of funerals and one of my favorite lines is in the preface uh before the holy in 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 a funeral where father says lord for your faithful people life is changed not ended. Yes. Also reminding us that, you know, in this life is just a journey mm-hmm. and paradise doesn't have to wait till after death. And we're always kind of, you know, there's no wall separating the living and the dead happiness from sadness and uh, that hope and, and, and how faith bridges that and how the Lord mm-hmm. gives you the, the faith and comfort to, to, to remain in his heart. Right. I love the idea of, of, uh, 
of of you know even in those moments of doubt or moments of suffering or trials that that paradise is found in those moments as well did i think that's hard for people to to recognize or to realize did you how did you come to that did you have to go i mean it's uh, to go through trials like what was that one thing in your life that helped you realize that paradise is found in even in those moments well the first one and easiest one to probably help me form was growing up very poor mm -hmm. you learn to to value things differently to value a moment with your mother with your father with your friends with your family yeah a meal together very simple things my mom always used to say you know lupa you have to be very thankful to the lord that you were born poor. <laughs> and of course, as a child, I was like, what are you talking about? Yeah, this yeah, sucks. Yeah. I want new sneakers. I want new shorts. I want Nike this. I want a Nintendo 64. She's like, no, <laughs> because you will learn that your happiness will never be in material things, and you will learn how to be happy from a child. And I, so I think I mentioned to you before, when I was a kid, I used to work with my dad in the fields. If yeah. you look at it just from a teenager perspective it'd be like oh you know my life sucked it was so bad i had to work in the summers and when i was in high school in the evenings or in the mornings and i just want to enjoy my youth and have yeah. this but in those times when i was working i realized now as an adult that it was some of my happiest times because i was there with my father mm -hmm. with my mother we would joke and sing songs all day we would have meal time together And it's something that now, as a young professional, I wish I could have more time to do. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and so just that's one regard. Another one is, you know, um, a couple of years ago, I received uh, a, a, a diagnosis in it with a doctor that was not very good. Okay. <laughs> and it made me freak out as a yeah. young man. Am I going to die? Uh -huh. Am I not going to have enough time to, to do the things that I wanted to do? And I remember when I got off the phone with the doctor, my body went in autopilot. Uh -huh. And it's in those vulnerable times and you really know where your priorities are. And I remember, I'm not one to, to pray before the Blessed Sacrament very often, but mm -hmm. I've always sat down in church quietly and found some quiet time with the Lord. But I remember when I stood up from that chair, I wanted to panic, I wanted to scream. And instead, after hearing the doctor give me a, a diagnosis, I was... I calmed down. All of a sudden, I felt the, the sun on my skin, the wind blowing slowly. I remember taking a little walk towards our chapel, and I sat there very humbly and very vulnerably in front of the Lord, and I said, Thank you, Lord. Hmm. I don't understand this. I'm in pain. I'm suffering. I'm very sad. But I had such a comfort in my heart that everything was going to be okay. And I remember sitting there for like half hour and just being glued to my seat and feeling an overwhelming feeling of love and, if anything, ironically, of health and of good standing because I felt like I was naked before the Lord. I had nothing to hide. He knew exactly what my fear was. And just being there, everything that I had learned and how I had learned to trust the Lord became real. And now I, I look back and I go, wow, I could have freaked out. I could have just called mom. I could have just thrown a fit and gone into depression. And I remember it passed through my mind. You know, I'm still human. But I went 
and sat before the Lord, and I said, thank you, God, and I trust that this is going to lead me to something else. Thankfully, yeah. uh, in case you're wondering, I'm doing, yes. I'm doing great with health, Good. and I'm doing just fine, thanks to medicine and to prayers and to everything. Yes. But as a young man, I'm reminded of that, yeah. that I'm not just indestructible and eternal, and yeah. that my faith will always be there to help me as long as I keep that open relationship with Christ, the, the church, the sacraments, and channel that frustration and faith and, and everything through my music. Yes, and I think that through your music, you're helping us, all of us, do the same, in particular this album, and in particular those two songs that you mentioned, Prayer Like His and Reverting. We heard those two songs earlier in the program. Um, we're going to leave it there, Lupe, but thank you so much. I really, really like this album, actually. Um, so I hope that there's more to come so we can have you back on the program and so that I can have some more music in my personal library. Very definitely. Thank you so much for Gracias. having a conversation with me. Okay. You can learn more about Lupe Rios um, or purchase his music. You can go to his website at lupedifranco.com. I'm going to put that link on our site so that you can find it easily. Here now is Lupe Rios with Ya Se Siente from his new album, Paradisum. listening to Lupe Rios with Ya Se Siente from his new album In Paradisum. And by the way, Ya Se Siente means you can feel it, or now you can feel it. And it's, of course, speaking about the Holy Spirit. And we're going to the end of our program now so we can go dancing. <laughs> yes, yeah, seriously, you like this, don't you, yeah. Emily? Good. So you can find out how to get that album on our website. Actually, that's where you can also listen to the whole show again and again, and you can find out how to access all our guests. Right. That's all at our website, saltandlighttv.org slash radio. All the shows we've ever done are there for free. And they're there for free thanks to you and your financial support of Salt and Light. Especially, we want to thank our monthly donors through the Guardians program. Their contribution guarantees us a predictable income, which is so important in our planning for the future. 
And if you are in the United States, you can now donate to us in Canada. It's easy. Find out how at our website, saltandlighttv.org, or write to us. To yes, ask. you got it. Thank you for your support. And thanks for those of us to write or come to see me on Facebook. You can find me also on Twitter at Deacon Pedro GM. And I'm at Emmy Callen. Thank you for being with us. I'm Deacon Pedro. And I'm Emily Callen. And this has been The, the Salt and Light, Light Hour. Hour.